You're going to pull a me. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99% where the real gains are made. We've got the original crew back with us. We've got Marilyn. Hey, guys. And Elliot. Hey, everybody. And I'm here, too. I'm Jesse. Um, we have a really fun topic for you today. We're going to talk about adventuring and kind of when it's okay to, to go off the rails and maybe do something a little bit different in your training and how that can kind of help change your perspective and ideally make you a better racer at whatever distance you're shooting for. Um, I'm going to kick things off with a little story. One of my, one of my biggest rides I've ever done is a, a big loop where you kind of ride all the way around the Catalina and, and Rincon mountains here in Tucson. So it's maybe, I don't know, Elliot, have you done that one? Um, not all of it. No. Okay. It's like maybe 165. Well, you've gone bigger than that, but yeah, but this has got oh. 50 miles of gravel in the middle. Yes. Yeah, no, I did not. I've not done that loop. My, my biggest ride is also about 170, but it's in Montana with, I think it was 25 or so thousand feet of vert. Um, but, yeah. but I, I think, you know, the gravel can definitely, you can, you can learn a few things about riding road bikes on gravel and about yourself and how much your frame shakes and, uh, how you feel after <laughs> let's um, not name the bike you were riding <laughs> still in one piece. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I, I think that that big rides like that have definitely taught me a little bit about suffering and a little bit about what it really means to like, you know, go out there and be out there for a long time and, and what it feels like, you know, to, to keep going when you have no choice, cause you still have 40 miles to get home. And above and beyond that, I feel like I also learned a lot about handling my bike, which isn't my strongest skill. So learning how to do that kind of thing, like riding on gravel, riding on gravel when you're tired, riding on gravel when you're really, really tired and, you know, how to handle the bike, how to keep the bike upright, how to turn. I feel like that definitely kind of didn't play into my skill set. So doing a ride like that, I saw a lot of different big benefits that maybe outweighed the fact that. I was tired for a few days and wasn't spending any time in the aero bars. What was your, what was your answer yesterday going down lemon? I don't like to, <laughs> I don't like to concentrate that hard. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, <laughs> I, it takes a lot of thinking, you know? So Marilyn's making me think to descend. Uh, I, I don't like to think that much sometimes, Man. but, but this, uh, this helps me, uh, you know, have to think, have to keep the bike upright. So it's, it's good practice on, on thinking while I'm riding. Jesse Vondracek, the only guy who can ride a 420 Ironman and can't win a Cat 4 race. <laughs> Gotta have skills. In his defense, we're descending pretty hard. <laughs> oh, I believe it. He's, he's made a lot of gains over the years. So um, <clears throat> what, what was like the big thing mentally for you? Because I, cause like, you know, having done a lot of large rides and whatnot, everything you're describing to me is like being able to concentrate like super hard and be really in the moment in a high rate of fatigue. I'm assuming is what you're talking about when you had to overcome those technical obstacles. Yeah. And for everybody listening, this is just like basically a flat dirt road with a little bit of washboard. <laughs> so maybe technical is extreme, but technical for me. All right. Um, oh uh, man. 
I'll throw myself under the bus there in case anyone's done that loop and listens to this. It, it is not super technical, but yeah, it is hard for me. And yeah, when, when you're tired, it is harder for me to, to focus like that. So do you, and you, so you feel like you gained more like technical ability or confidence that you could just do something like that? Like whether it was, was it more the technique or the distance since it's such a long day? Was that a ride you and you and Hoffman did on like the solstice one year or something? Uh, who's to say what day we did it on? Okay. But, uh, it was a day. It was somewhere between the winter and summer solstice. Yes. Yeah, somewhere in between, somewhere in the middle there. Um, I mean, yeah, I've done it a few times now and, and, but yeah, I think it's like being able to concentrate, like I can go on a long road ride and sure. keep turning the cranks over. And that's one thing, but, but like Marilyn said, when I've got to like think and like stay engaged, that's, that takes discipline. That's a little bit harder for me. That's not just like pedaling on pavement. And so doing that for a long time, it, it taught me that I can actually stay mentally engaged even when I don't want to. I think that's like the, the main thing with like any of these out of the, out of the box training moments. It's, it's the, it's the changing of your perspective, right? I can remember, yes. like, I can remember as early on is the first time, this is like when I first started triathlon and the first time I went through a phase where it was like, I'm going to ride my bike every day. You know, I had been in this routine where I rode my bike twice or three times a week. And that was it. That was it. That's what you did. You rode your bike on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you know, you ran on Tuesday and Thursday and Sunday. And that was like what you did. And the first time for that, someone said to me for the next two weeks, you're going to ride your bike every single day. It was just like, how's that even possible? You know? And then, and then you do these things like you're talking about there, Jesse, and all of a sudden your whole perspective has changed, you know? And I, and I think that's like, I think that's the main point as we go through like all these fun stories and, and talk about them is like, how do we take regular training and product and, and well, it's all productive, but training that is like very structured and focused or training that is like, got this different element to it. What's the purpose of it? And and how do we actually change each, each athlete's perspective on, you know, what challenges them, what's hard for them, that kind of thing. I think, um, and then that gets harder as athletes get more experienced, right? <laughs> the, the limit's so high. I think a lot of these stories are probably relatively early um, in our career. So I know personally, before I even started doing triathlon, I got into running like late in high school, if you will, right? Um, so I only ran my junior and senior year. And so going into my senior year, I was like, okay, well, I just started this. I'm just going to run every day and I'm going to run all the time. And I'd never run over like 25 miles in a week. And so I just started running 70 and 80 miles a week because back in 1999 internet, they were like, you have to run hundred miles a week to be fast. And so I hop on and I'm like, well, I can't do that. Cause I've never run 15 miles in a day period. Um, so I just kind of started chipping away at it and you just put yourself in a position and granted I was 17, so you can get away with a lot more, but just the day-to-day -day, like constant fatigue and showing up to every workout fatigued. And then I started doing every single run with fig Newtons in my pockets because one, I had no money and two, that was like the only thing that was going to get me through. Um, <clears throat> but it just super changed my perspective from the end of my junior year track season running four miles continuously was kind of a big deal. Running six miles continuously was like, Oh, I just ran six miles guys. Like I am going to be so ready for this two mile. Um, cause my endurance is through the roof. And then the next thing, you know, it's like three months later, 
And granted, these increases are idiotic if you're like 42 and you're listening to this. But if you're 17, you might be able to get away with it. But anyways, you look at it and you're like, oh, I run eight miles at a minimum every day. Some days I'm running 13, 14, 15 miles. And then it just obviously physically there's a change. But then it also changes the perspective of like, well, if I can only run, if I was running X time per mile, the idea that I could just go faster because I, I just get better at things. Um, so it like changed what you thought your limit was just by putting yourself in that position. Um, I would say that was a relatively foolhardy approach, but it, it did work over time. So it made your two mile faster. Uh, yeah, made my everything faster. Yeah. Unfortunately, there was no like half marathon for high school running. I would have been pretty good at that. Not so good at the 5k. So you know, it's interesting too, though, is like, obviously like swimmers have been in like big swim camps for years and, and those kinds of things is that we often get caught up in the, and it's important. It's a, the, don't get me wrong when I say this, it's like an important thing to pay close attention to, but being very careful about progression and making sure that the training stimuli and overload is progressed the right way and recovery and these things so that people don't get overtrained, they don't get injured, all of those things. So like super, super important part of training and uh, development and coaching. However, there is also like we, some of these stories that we'll talk about and different camps that we've done and those kinds of things where like that, that whole philosophy was just like thrown out the window for a block of time. And it's, I think it's probably important to, when you think of these ideas, like think which ones, which ones are smart ideas and which ones are the ones that it's like, this risk is higher than the benefit, right? Like I would always say, like, if you're going to take someone and throw them into an adventure type situation or uh, all of a sudden like throw that progression uh, rule out the window and, and push them to new barriers that are going to give them new perspective. It's best done like on the bike or swimming, right? It, it might be pretty risky if it's done running or in the gym, but if you know your athlete, like you knew you were a runner, Elliot, or you knew that about yourself or that you knew you were going to be able to do that. So I think as coaches listen to this and athletes listen to this and they get excited and think about these adventures as they go into their off season or where it might be is make sure that the reward outweighs the risk. And if you're going to throw some of those like fundamental rules out the window, like where, where to make those decisions the right way so that it is actually beneficial and you don't walk away from it hurt. So let's use the biggest example out there that you lived through. Um, so Marilyn, you did Epic camp, which I think, I believe you're the first woman who was ever allowed in. Right. I was, yeah. At the, at the very beginning, I think we've talked, let's, about let's just say like, yeah, who, so who's, who's there, uh, and look up some of these names if you don't know who they are, cause they're all old school. Um, yeah. yeah they're, they're not just old school, but like, if you're wondering how the triathletes of today got to their conclusions. Most of them came through some, something that came out of Epic camp or someone who was in Epic camp that had a pretty large influence on training across the sport. Yeah, it was, um, it was cool. It was like, you know, it was a uh, Scott Molina and Gordo Byrne. They, they were the founders of Epic camp and, you know, Scott Molina is pretty legendary. He, he was part of that's an understatement. Form. Yeah. And so, you know, he was, they put these camps together and at the time, it was, you know, it was funny. I, I'm not, this isn't, it's, a lot has changed and a lot has evolved over the years. This was a long time ago, you know, but back then it was from their perspective, this was a camp. They thought, you know, women, they didn't, women, for lack of better words, I'm not trying to make them sound bad in our day and age, but at that time, women were not, not invited on this camp. Um, and so 
Scott was my coach and he had decided he was like, I think she'll be okay. He's like, I think she can handle this. And of course you get a group of, let's say 10, 12 guys that are all going to be riding training the way we did and living, you know, we were traveling and also living in pretty tight quarters. They're like, uh, bringing a girl along. Like we don't want to have a, have any kind of situation on her hands where she's not going to be able to handle it or, you know, mechanicals or flats or nutrition, or just even just the close living quarters and those kinds of things for a long period of time, two and a half, three weeks. So, um, yes, somehow I snuck into the boys club (laughs) and was allowed to go. Scott convinced them, Hey, she'll be okay. She's not, she's, she's going to be able to look after herself. She's going to hold her own. She's going to be able to handle it. And, and so I was the pioneer to say, I'm going to do this. And it was, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I guess it was like a really important turning point to let them know, Hey, it's okay. Like I sort of, I had a, not a point to prove. I didn't think of it then, but it was, you know, I'm going to be able to hold on. I'm not going to get left behind. I'm not going to end up for lack of better terms. Again, I'm not going to become a huge pain in your ass. Um, that was sort of thing. You know, I could, I could look after myself and, and get through the camp. So what, what did the t- camp entail? Not just for you, but for everybody. So the first one, well, we, we rode across the North, basically it was either between the North or the South Island of New Zealand. And, uh, the first one was, so it was traveling. Mm-hmm. It was point like, you had a different place every night. Yep. Oh, yep, I didn't we realize went, that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Point to point. So we went across, we, we swam bike and ran and raced our way across the entire Island. And it was, yeah, I can't remember the exact hours. You can look up all the Epic Camp history. Scott wrote a really a lot of really funny blogs, and Gordo wrote a lot of literature and stuff on it and documented everything. But um, yeah, it was somewhere up in the fifties, fifty hour range of training per week for those. It was it was pretty crazy for sure. And for me, because I was training with a group of guys, and they were all you know, it was like Cameron Brown, Bjorn Anderson, Klaus Bjorling, Gordo Burns, Scott Molina you know, Chris McDonald, um, there's all these guys who were pretty, they weren't just guys, they were fast. So for me, I had, for them, they might've been going easy on some days, but for me, I was going as pretty much as hard as I could just to keep up every single day. So I did that amount of training, uh, at a pretty high intensity for a good two and a half weeks. So my understanding is it was, yeah. So two and a half weeks. So you're looking at whatever that is, 125 hours over 15 days or something, primarily cycling, but you still swam and ran quite a bit. So like ballpark about what would you average in a week for swimming and running? Well, we swam every day and we ran every day as well. Uh, so you, and yeah. And some days we, we ran twice a day or, you know, even depending on like, if we had a little aquathon race in the morning and then rode our bike somewhere and then ran later at night. So sometimes it was like, you know, several run swim situations in a day. We never, ever just rode our bikes one full day. There was always swim, bike and run every single day. And most of the swims were between, I think the shortest one, and my memory's not that great. It was a pretty long time ago, but it was like somewhere between the shortest one would have been three K up to most of them were five, six K sets. So you're swimming 25 to 30 K a week, right? Yeah, that was, you know, honestly, that was really normal for all of us that were sure. in in that group, including me, um, we swam, we swam 25, 30 K a week, every week. And so this was a lot more 
intensity. And we had some swim races in there. We did a half Ironman, the Auckland half Ironman right in the middle of it. Uh, so there was, you know, that kind of thing, but yeah, so the swimming was quite a lot. The running, I wouldn't have a mileage for you either. We ran often and there was, it wasn't all easy either. That's what the crazy part was. Like I say, there was a race element every single day as well. So, you know, uh, aquathons and little 5k running races and, uh, trail runs and, and that kind of stuff. So good amount of running. So, okay. So for the listener, anybody who's listening to this, we're probably not advising you try to do that. Uh, that's insane. Um, but I'm under the impression, you know, having known a few of those people you mentioned and your, and yourself, there was a lot to be gained. So like, what would you say were some of the major things that you learned about yourself or you like learned how to do better between workouts, um, that you took away that was like a positive from being put into such a like challenging minute to minute situation? I mean, it, I was so early in my career, it changed everything for me. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't been doing the sport that long when I went and did this. And three weeks later is when I won Ironman Malaysia. So it really changed everything. I mean, it changed, it even changed the way I look. I went to that camp one looking like one person. And when I came back from New Zealand, all my peers and family didn't even barely recognize me. I mean, literally changed even my body shape and everything. So, uh, I would say the list is too long to say what it changed because it was so early in my career and I was exposed to so much in that period of time. So like, I guess, were there any negatives that came from that? Were you tired for like two weeks after that and then bounced back? Yeah. So, you know, like I got on the plane to leave New Zealand and I slept, you know, how long it is to go from New Zealand all the way to back to Canada. That's where I was going back to 17 hours. Yeah. I slept the whole way. Like, I don't even remember. I was just out like a light the whole way I got home. And actually I was, did you do inception? I just got to know. That's what happens in the movie inception. They get on a plane, a craft way across the world and they don't remember anything. (laughs) Anyways, carry on. That's probably, yeah, I was like exhausted. But you know what? The, the, the time between that camp and when I went to Malaysia, I was in Canada and I was pretty worried to be honest. I had a really, really hard time in those few weeks when I got back and with just all kinds of my, my legs were completely tying up and I could barely get through a workout. And I thought, uh Oh, you know, I'm not even going to be able to get to go to this race. And it wasn't until like the last week before I left for Malaysia that things started to come around. But I was, I was pretty wrecked after that. And some people might say, that's, what's crazy, right? Is that you do all of this and you gain all of these things and you think, oh, do you just come home and like rest and flourish and then go win an Ironman? It was like, no, I went and did all that completely crushed myself, came home. It was like a shit show. And I was pretty worried. I was completely broken, but then got on a plane and went and raced and ended up winning the race by like 18 minutes. So there's a valuable lesson in that alone. So it was almost like equal training days to recovery days in that situation, like two and a half weeks, two and a half weeks before you finally felt like you might be coming around. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then of course, uh, as you get further and further in the sport and the bigger training you do, you recover from that stuff quicker and quicker. So it, it does change, but I was, I was really early on in my career and my development when I went and went and did that. Or you wise up and you do a 40 hour week instead of a 52 hour week. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And I get, yeah. One of the things I have here that I was going to talk about is that it, 
ability to regulate intensity in these bigger days or bigger blocks like that. And it seems like you, know, you were almost at like a pretty big disadvantage because everything was just that like 10, 20, 30% harder for you. So maybe these guys could come around in five days because, you know, they're spending a lot of time at like 50, 60% of threshold, whereas you're like 80% or something all the time. And, and so that's, I think that that's a really good takeaway for people that are planning their own adventures or camps that like, maybe you need to make sure that you're regulating your own intensity. If you need to bounce back in a certain amount of time and like, or maybe sometimes it's okay to say, oh, well, I'm going to bury myself for two and a half weeks. And then I'm going to take two and a half weeks to recover, but just kind of knowing that like that, that intensity is going to be a big piece in, in that amount of time it does take to recover. And Marilyn, you were full-time at that time as an athlete. I was, yeah. yeah I, so you're, just, you're t- I just, just turned full-time, like literally had was like fresh sure. off the boat, you know, But for the listener though, like even more to Jesse's point, Marilyn got to go home and not have to work. Yeah, if you're so going like, home and working a nine to five. Yeah. I was like, good luck. This is a terrible idea. Don't, don't do that. But if you are like a young pro and, uh, yeah, I was maybe, like 20 years old. Yeah. And maybe yeah, you feel yeah. like maybe not emotionally in the game or I, that's probably the wrong way to word it, but, um, you feel like you just have some experience, like it's a good way to, it's, it's probably the easiest way to get a million experiences in a short amount of time. Um, as long as you do get that recovery. So like, um, like Jesse, what are some like single day or weekend things that, that you've done that are a little more manageable to recover from, um, in the midst of a busier life? One thing I just want to say before Jesse answers that, sorry, I want to, cause I'll forget other than this one reason is I want to say this right now is I'll forget. The one thing that was really cool about it is I learn and I try and like still continue to stay connected to that as I teach new athletes to come up in Ironman is I learned it's okay to get really, really tired. I mean, like people kind of freak out and panic when they get tired now, especially when training for Ironmans and with all the information we have and all the gadgets. And I learned like, I, I mean, I got tired. I mean, I'm talking like running at like 13 minute mile pace at the end of a eight hour day, wondering like, what am I doing? And, and it was like, yep, go out and run anyways. And I learned So it was, I, I, you're going to, you're going to survive. You're going to be okay. And learning to get that tired actually really, really helped me as an Ironman athlete. Like, I mean, it was probably the most valuable lesson my entire Ironman career was that it was okay to get that tired. And, um, and I, I think that that lesson is being lost a little bit in our culture today. And I think that that is an important thing with these adventure trainings to keep installing in the new and younger upper and coming generation a bit. Sorry. I, I just, I didn't want to forget to tell you guys that that's all. That was a very good point. We needed <laughs> that side. I kind of feel like you were like staring at me, calling me soft that whole no, time. Not at <laughs> all. You're like, you're totally an epic. You do <laughs> badass training, dude. Not at Jesse, all. You have almost a mohawk and your beard looks like it's made of steel wool. You're not soft. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Not at all. Uh, what was the question I asked you? Oh, uh, so we were talking about like, maybe like weekend warrior type adventure training. Yeah, yeah. How do you, how did you, like, what are some personal examples you've had? Um, well, I guess I, you know, I think there's a lot of like big rides and some bigger long runs. Um, and I do think that one of the things that, you know, I, you do take away from that is, is kind of like what Marilyn's saying is like, you do that big, long ride and you still have to run the next day and you still go out and do the run. And it might like, 
it might suck a little bit. You might run kind of slow, but like, you know, you still go out there and get it done. And, and then I think one of the tricks is not letting that fatigue shake your confidence, right? You need to take gain confidence from the size of the adventure that you do and not let it shake your confidence, how tired it makes you. Um, and I think it can go both ways. Like, I'm sure you were like crapping your pants at two and a half weeks. Like, Oh, I, I just broke myself. I'm never going to come around. And, and maybe like on in the weekend, you can feel that in the short term, right? If you have a big weekend, you go to swim on Monday and you're like, I'm literally sinking. I'm not making, Jim is going to have to pull me out of the water. I'm not going to make it down the pool. It's like, um, you're okay. You're okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> but then a couple of days later, you kind of, you can, you can bounce back from that. So I just dodged your question, Elliot. How was that? That's fine. I'll give an example <laughs> that. Uh... It's like, I'll answer the question. <laughs> well, I'll, yeah, I'll answer it uh, from, from Erica's point of view. Like when she first, when she was first in the sport, like the f- first summer, I think it was the first summer, you know, like probably her longest ride was like 45 or maybe 50 miles and 50 miles was a pretty big ride. You know, like she's just getting in, starting to do sprint distance races. Um, and she's never really done much swimming, biking or running. And, and we go out and we do a hundred mile ride. Um, and she was super nervous about it and really tired. And, you know, like I definitely remember like at the gas station at mile 85, um, where she went from, you know, mile 40 to 85 was a lot of like, what the heck are we doing out here? Am I going to die? And then mile 85 was, you know, you just saw her flip the switch, which is like, obviously we've all lived through it ourselves, but like getting to see her do it where she was like, Oh yeah, I'm a person who rides hundred miles. Now we're at 85 miles and I'm not dead. I'm just really tired. And you could kind of see, she was like, Oh, I can totally do this. Like, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. I'm really tired. Yeah. There's a headwind, but luckily Elliot's pulling and like, just kind of keep on chugging. Um, and then there was like a massive crash, you know, and it was like, why did I do that for a few days? But then you know, two weeks later, it was like, no, I'm a person who rides a hundred miles, you know, and this is a thing I can do. And I'm a person who can do long rides. And I think it was like a week or two later where she was like, yeah, let's ride 70 or 80 miles. Um, which was already a huge step up because she was like, well, that's not hard. Cause I I'm a person who rides a hundred miles. Um, and since that ride, like that's been her perspective. It's like crazy how much like one single ride changed just where she's like, yeah, I can do hard things, even if they're questionable, which leads to we're in New Zealand. And so this is at the end of her second year professional, I guess, third year of triathlon and it's post she's already raced U 23 worlds. Um, and we're in New Zealand. Um, U 23 worlds was in Australia. We go to New Zealand and we just are like picking hikes off the map and we find a hike. It's 12 miles. If you go to this one point or it's 37, if you do the big loop, And we're like, yeah, we'll just do there and back, but let's pack a little bit of extra food in case we feel good. And like, we both just, you know, I was like, if she's game, we're totally going to 37 miles. Cause this is like a once in a lifetime thing. So of course it was like, she started talking about that hundred mile ride while we're at like mile nine. And I'm like, oh, we're doing this loop, you know? And then of course she's, she, I think at that point, the longest she'd run is 10 miles and we're, we're hiking it mostly. Um, but then we start running out of daylight. So we end up mostly running the last 10 miles. So, you know, needless to say, it's her biggest day on her feet by like, you know, whatever that is 20 plus miles. And then that all stemmed from one ride. 
And so then it's just like this sort of thing snowballs where she had the confidence to do it. And then same thing, her legs are super messed up. She can't bend her knee after the, after the hike, but it's, it's the perspective of like, well, I can definitely do that. Um, even if we don't have enough food or light or, or flashlight or whatever. Yeah. That, that perspective changes is definitely important. I think, I don't know. One thing we have in Tucson is, uh, the new year's ride, which is always a good perspective shift of like, oh, I've only ridden like two or three hours because it's been off season, but we'll all get together and go for like a seven hour ride. And then it's like, okay, I'm back. I can, I can ride long again. Just kind of, <laughs> kind of reminds you, you can do it. And like, yeah, it hurts a little more, maybe increases your pain tolerance a little bit, but you're like, okay, if I pack enough snacks, I, I, I now can ride long again. Let's say it's all about the cookies. How many cookies? <laughs> if you have a sleeve of Oreos, you can do anything. Most anything. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, I know when I first started doing big swims, I just had a huge bag of gummy worms on deck. <laughs> you know, it was like, if I'm going to be in the water for two hours, three times a week, plus shorter swims, it was like, I'm, I knew I was going to bonk. So it was just like, yeah, you know, you do a hundred, you grab a gummy bear, you do another hundred, you grab another gummy bear and you just carry on. You better be friends with the lifeguard, but it all works out. There was a block of time where I was on this mission to change my swim because my swim was my Achilles heel. And like, that was the only focus for like a month. And I was actually in Tempe, uh, staying with Justin Dare and his brother. And we were swimming at just like this little crap lifetime fitness outdoor pool. And we're swimming. It was anywhere from five K to eight and a half K every single day. And we would go, our tans were on point. Let me tell you what, like when you swim that much in Arizona, we had like the best tans, but it was so funny. Cause we would literally walk into LA fit or yeah. Lifetime fitness. And like people would clear the lanes. They were like, oh, there's, there's those people that are coming here. And they're like, obviously on a mission with whatever they're doing here, swimming every single day. And at the time he was sponsored by EAS. So he had, we had this like line of those piranhas, which is like the equivalent of Red Bulls, just like lined up on the pool deck. And we would just be swimming for hours every day. And, um, it was, it was fun. I, and definitely, I mean, it's, it, it's another one of those things. It's like a block of time that changes your perspective and your tan. Did that change like how you approached the Ironman swim race? I mean, it, for me, the, yeah, I mean, it definitely gave me a lot more endurance to get through, get through the swim and just a lot more strength and, you know, that kind of thing it, it did step my swim forward a little bit. I was, pr- I was pretty athletically limited swimming. So it took a lot for me to, for me to get better on the swim. That's a whole nother podcast on what it actually took for me to finally, I made one front pack ever in an Ironman and what it took to get there was just crazy. Um, but that was, that was a, a good stepping stone for sure. So let's, let's use that to talk about like, what, what should someone have for goals? If they're planning an adventure, like how should they, should they set their goals for the adventure? And like, should it fit in certain parameters that kind of align with what they need or want? Like, I mean, besides I'd say adventure should always be fun and hopefully increase some happiness. But like you were doing a huge swim block because you wanted to be a front pack swimmer. And so it kind of like, it aligned with what you were trying to do then it wasn't just like oh i think it'd be cool to swim whatever 10k every day it wasn't just like a, a whim right it, it had like something specific you were focusing on or like elliot when you were really trying to become a really good runner you were like the key is to run 70 miles a week so even if your logic was flawed like it was still like you know you had a goal you had a mission sure um 
I, I, I think oh the the biggest thing is one what you said fun if you're if we're talking about this kind of like short-term adventure um but the the next biggest thing is like if you're certain you're gonna finish it or you're like super confident that you're just gonna be kind of tired at the end of the day it's probably not big enough um you, you know what i'm saying fear in there yeah 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 like like if your confidence is through the roof that you can do it um either one like you have way too much confidence um or two <laughs> you need to just go a little bit bigger and i think that's where like someone like you guys like eventually you ran out of things that scared you right um and then it all what Marilyn or me i'm just joking oh um now i have an interesting story with that with my with coming back to riding actually but yeah go, go for it no, no i was just i was just gonna say like you know yeah you do like all this crazy stuff usually when you're when you're younger but it doesn't even like if people are listening to this and they're thinking like well i'm a little older in my career and I've done a lot of epic stuff and, you know, where does that leave me now? We'll say, you know, I took, I stopped racing 2012, took the number of years off where I was just in the strength sports, decided to get back on the bike, started riding. I had, when I started back riding, I had settled up with just, Hey, I'm just going to ride around slowly now. Like I did all that. I did all the, I did all the best that I was ever going to do. So now I'm just going to ride around slowly with some of my athletes and yeah, if I can, you know, do a couple little harder efforts here and there. Great. But I just, I'd really settled up with the fact that I was older. I was retired. I'd done all that. And I can remember there was just this couple week period I was in Tucson at the time I was living up in, up in the Valley, up in Mesa. And I'd come down to Tucson and I was on my bike and I was like, you know what? I was just, I was doing what's like the shootout loop. And there's this, I, there was a choice to go home or there was the choice to keep going basically that day and ride five hours up Madeira Canyon. And I was completely by myself riding slowly. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do the whole ride. And I did that. And then I was like, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to do, um, Kit peak and which was another five hour ride. And then I was like, and then I'm going to the next day, I'm going to do lemon. And so I spent like three days doing like the three biggest, hardest rides. And I did them all completely by myself. And when I finished all of those, I had this moment of like, Hey, I'm not like old and slow anymore. I can still go pretty hard and long if I want. And the next weekend there was the 40 K TT state TT here that I had always done. And I didn't put a computer on my bike or anything. I just threw the wheels on my bike the night before and went and rode it. And I rode almost the exact same time I did the last year that I raced professionally. And, um, and it was literally just that. So it's like not these mind shifts and these perspectives don't always just have to do with like early on in our career. And the first time we do it, something adventurous, it could be even late in your career when you're deciding like, Hey, maybe I'm, maybe I've done everything before and you've just lost a little sight of who you really are and you become reconnected. Like you're talking about Jesse, that like first big ride of the year where you're like, Oh, all right. I remember, I remember how to suffer this much. I remember how to go this long. It's like, so, so it, it gave me that like sort of kick in the pants that I needed. Like, Hey, Oh no, I, I remember. I, I can actually, I can do hard stuff still. I'm not completely, I'm not like in the grave yet or anything. So I don't know if that, I kind of just threw that out there over. No. Time. Yeah. I, I think it totally <laughs> makes sense. And I think the other thing you can do is like, say you've ridden whatever 150 mile loop a few times, like you can always just ride harder and and see what happens you know and and that's i mean that's what always cracks me 
Like I can go for a long ride and it's fine. But if we're going to ride it really hard, then I'm probably going to crack at some point. And that's, that's, that's more like daunting and scary for me than just going out and riding a, a big ride. If it's like, Oh, we're going to try and like sit on X power for like four hours. It's like, well, that's, that's scary. And that's going to be hard. And that's, I think that intensity dial is definitely something you can play with to make an, an adventure more or less scary. Yeah. But I think for the general person listening to this, who has a job and hasn't been a professional athlete at some point, usually it's just like elevation and distance is going to be enough to get you there and like really broaden some horizons. Cause a super steep hill at hour seven, whether, whether you're hiking, running, uh, you know, or on a bike ride is going to cross that box or check that box off for most people where they're like, what I gotta, I have to get up this thing still. I mean, and that's why I think lemon is so important. Like, sure. There's tons of people like in the professional world who are racing up it in like two hours or less. Um, but for a lot of people, they're just like, what I got to climb my bike up how many thousands of feet. Um, and it's, it's a big deal if you're not a full-time professional athlete and, and even that climb alone, um, can, can really change your perspective. And then you look at your local hill and you're like, oh, this hill is 2000 feet, which most people consider a big climb. And they're like, oh, this is nothing. I can like rip it up this because I survived lemon, you know? Um, and, and that's why I think a lot of people, you know, do an Ironman and then all of a sudden they start racing sprints and Olympics a lot faster because it has more to do with perspective. They're like, not afraid of blowing up. They're like, this is an hour. I can literally like the worst that'll happen is I'll slow down a little bit, but I'm not going to walk for, for an hour and a half. Um, and that, I guess, yeah, I guess I didn't even mean to get there, but a big, hard race can do that as well. And that may, it's maybe not quite as fun as like the loop you never got to do. That's in some cool place, but I think too, that also, like, it's just for fun, for conversation's sake, it's that challenges the different philosophies of, you know, even short course athletes, some coaches are really big, big advocates of like, you only focus on short course and intensity and, and building, you know, the intensity capacity in that, that direction. And some really, really develop the, you know, those big days under their athletes belts, even though they're going to be racing for, you know, much, much shorter distances. So I think that that also is interesting. You know, if you're, if you're an Ironman person, these adventures can become really obvious. It's like, yeah, this is part of our day. Like we're, we're going to go race all day. So we got to be able to do hard stuff all day. And we, that needs to be a part of our training mentally, physically, just full stop, right? You're going to go race an Ironman. You're going to race all day. So even from a nutritional standpoint of view, you got to train your body and your mind to be able to handle that. But from a half Ironman and short course perspective, it's like my, someone might be listening. It's like, why even bother? But I've seen some of the best short course athletes in the world do Ironmans you know, and do some pretty big days. So not only from a perspective standpoint and a mental standpoint, I think obviously there's a huge physical component of developing an athlete to have that, what you're talking about, Elliot, there, that, that back half endurance and strength that when they go to actually go that fast, that, that, that depth is there and they're able to, to do that really well. Yeah. I mean, no matter what, even, even short course triathlon is a hundred percent aerobic, right? So if you're spending all day working on your aerobic capacity, that's going to help you in every distance triathlon. Yeah. There, there's a reason that the guy who just won an Olympic gold is a super good at half Ironmans and, um, 
and vice versa. I mean, Lucy Charles held her own in Abu Dhabi. Um, she's obviously not one of the best short course folks in the world, but she's right in the mix basically off of half Ironman training. Eric almost got her, but I think she was 10 seconds back at Abu Dhabi. But anyways, um, yeah, that goes a long ways. Any other last favorite, big, long day adventure? Oh my gosh. I I just, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say some things that people should keep in mind when they're planning this is that like, um, like the recovery time and then your life stress kind of going in or out of that, right? If you do have like that race in, in four weeks and you want to do this big adventure, like maybe it'll work perfectly, but you need to make sure that you have a scenario where you have like some time to recover. And if your wife and child are going to, or husband and child or whatever are going to be like, Hey, you just did this big thing and we're gone all weekend. Now you want to go do that again. Like say you want to drive to California for fun. And then you want to fly to Florida for fun. And it's two weeks apart. Like, you know, maybe you have to kind of pick one of those adventures to, to keep the peace. So just keeping that all all in mind when you're kind of planning these adventures, I think can be good. Don't ruin your family over it. (laughs) That's good advice, Jesse. Don't ruin your family over. No personal experience involved. I'm just kind of saying (laughs) that was a completely (laughs) hypothetical human being. A hypothetical situation you may have been in in the last few weeks. I don't know. I think it's you have fun with it as far as being creative. I mean, some of my favorite sessions were things like when I lived in Boulder, I rode up left-hand Canyon, all the way up through Ward, all the way up to Brainerd Lake, which is way up over 10,000 feet with my runners in my back pocket mm-hmm. and walked up the bike, put on some, the runners in the run shorts, did loops around Brainerd Lake, like descending running loops around there to total just over 10 K changed back in the bike shorts and rode back down. And that was like a good long day of, you know, bike run bike and all most of it, I mean, all of it over 5,000 feet, but a lot of it up over 8,000 feet. So, and the running up really, really high. So those are, those are pretty fun, pretty cool. I definitely did, you know, some, we talk about adventure riding, that's easy to put together for most people, but don't be afraid to think outside the box as far as, you know, any combination of things that could challenge you and, and just have you out there stretching your limits all day. You know, that's, um, there's all kinds of different ways to do it. And I think just remember, like some of these things we're talking about are pretty extreme, you know, um, like Jesse's talking about, like essentially 180 mile rides on gravel or 37 mile run hikes, et cetera. But it can be as simple as like my first experience with something like this was a 15 mile run that summer going into my senior year of high school. I'd, I'd never run over, I think eight miles. And then I maybe did like a nine or a 10 mile run. And me and my buddy were like, Hey, let's our cross country course was seven and a half miles away. So we ran to our cross country course. We stopped at a gas station and got candy and Gatorade. And like, there's one hill on the course and we like ate our candy and Gatorade. And then we ran back. And like, some people would say like, wait, you took a half hour break in the middle of your long run. It was like, we'd barely ever run 10 miles, let alone 15, you know, like the whole last hour of that run, we're like talking about if we're going to die. Um, and you know, you're just like, you're just kind of out there. And we did that every, like every Saturday for like two months or something. And it just totally changed our perspective on, um, what was possible. And then 
that really helped me snowball and keep that kind of same idea when I got into riding, you know, it was the same thing. I, I had done one 30 mile ride. I think my longest ride was a 30 mile ride. I go on this spring break training trip. I do a 50 mile ride and then I do an 80 mile ride. And then by the end of the week, I'm riding a hundred miles and I just got into the habit of like breaking through barriers. So I didn't stop at a hundred. I rode to 115 just because, and then I got off and ran because I was just like, this is wild. I'm not tired. Yet. I'm like, sure. I was tired, but I was expecting to be unable to move. And instead I was just really tired. Um, and I think like kind of that mindset is all bred from those initial, like having a buddy. So I, I think one thing I would say is if you have a friend who's in a somewhat similar situation, make it fun. And don't worry about like what it looks like on paper. You know, for me, it was two seven and a half mile runs with can with a candy break in the middle. And that totally changed my perspective and enabled me to take that exact same mindset and turn it into, I just rode 115 miles and ran five miles afterwards. Um, when realistically I shouldn't have been able to even do like 80 miles. Um, but it was just, a, it was just, you know, in my head. Yeah. And you also weren't like measuring out your course profile and saying, okay, this exactly emulates the race course I'm going to do in four months. So let me make sure it's hundred percent specific, right? You're just like, yeah, oh, to this big... day, I have no idea if it was actually a 115 mile ride or a 15 mile run. Like it was all right. bar ballpark. I was, I was yeah, like, we were out there. I don't even know when we started. I used to time my runs based off the clock in the kitchen. Yeah. I think a lot of people too get like, there's so much detail out there about everything. You can get kind of obsessed about making things like super specific. And I feel like, you know, if you just get out there and adventure and, and go out for a long time and have fun, whether it's a mix of, of hiking or running or swimming across a lake or doing K repeats around a lake, just being on your feet for a long time in some capacity is going to help with your aerobic development and um, in the end, make you a better athlete and hopefully have, be, have a lot of fun out there even if it's not super specific. And if you've done a lot of this stuff before and you're thinking, Oh, I've, you know, I've, I've done all this for years. I'm, you know, 25 years neck deep into the sport and done a million of these things. It's, it's still beneficial. In fact, I'm in the camp of the longer you've, the longer you've been doing the sport and the more you've trained as you get older people, there's this one philosophy of that you can get away with doing less and less and less. And I actually think that like, it takes just as much, if not more to make you fit. You know what I mean? Like you, you really still need to be able to do these big adventures. you still need something to challenge you to change your perspective and keep you excited. And you still need a ton of work to actually get fit. And, um, I think that's where some people are making some mistakes with older athletes now as they're thinking, and especially you hear it a lot in the, in the women's end of things is, oh, with the, um, with strength and power and speed and all these things that we lose as we get older. And they think there's room to slack on these, uh, the amount of work that needs to be done and, and these type of big days and adventure and think that they're going to get better and better. And I, I actually really disagree with that. I think that as you get older and the more you've done and the more you've got under your belt, it's going to take still a lot of work if you want to go fast and you want to pick some of these challenges and, and things to keep you fired up and keep pressing you and keep, it's almost like the person who drinks like 
never drinks and then has one beer and they're like, Ooh, I'm tipsy. But if you've had six beers every single day for the, your entire life, it's probably going to take a lot more to make you feel tipsy. It's that sort of <laughs> philosophy. You know what I mean? Like, so if you're older and you've been training forever, don't forget, it's still going to take a lot to get you fit. <laughs> so I don't know if that helps with summarizing what I'm trying to say there. Just, oh yeah. It all I've comes hung out down with to my more uncles. <laughs> More is more. More is more. <laughs> not, not, not to say more is more, but I'm just saying, don't forget that you, you still got to do some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just giving you a hard time. <laughs> oh, boy. oh boy. More is more alcohol. <laughs> the, al- the alcohol edition that's coming up next week. How to drink three bottles of wine a day and still perform. <laughs> yeah. Let's not do that. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> uh... All right, team. Well, yeah, Elliot's going to come to Tucson soon, so we should plan some adventures of our own. But until then, thanks for the chat. Yeah, that was fun. I'll see you guys in person in a couple weeks. Awesome. Fun stuff.